Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Our next guest has seen the world of basketball from virtually every angle. 31 years ago, he was not only playing in the NCAA tournament, he was the superstar. The final four most outstanding player as his Kansas Jayhawks won it all. This past weekend, I saw him on CBS TV coverage of this year's bracket. In between, of course, he has led Tulsa and more recently the Wake Forest Demon Deacons into the NCAA tournament. Danny Manning, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? I'm doing well, David. How are you? Doing really well. Uh, we're going to ask you to analyze the 16 teams still remaining, but I have to ask you for a quick flashback. When you and the Jayhawks entered the NCAA tournament in 1988, you already had 11 losses, which is a lot for somebody who ends up winning it all. Did you believe you could win it all going into that first game that you played before becoming Danny and the Miracles? Well, you know what? We, we were had guys on our team, our upperclassmen had experienced the Final Four before in 1986 in Dallas. And uh, we knew going into our senior year, this is our last crack at it. Uh, we started off the year on a high note. We went through some different types of uh, injuries and things of that nature. Our, our Coach Brown revamped our team, so to speak, going into uh, towards the end of the year. And then we started playing really well together. We had a bunch of guys that played hard and sacrificed for one another. And it was just, hey, let's go out here and do whatever we can to give ourselves a chance to win this game. And we'll worry about, worry about the next one um, when the time comes. Danny Manning joining us. He'd be the Danny in the Dan Danny and the Miracles. You can follow Coach nowadays on Twitter, at Coach D Manning. CBS TV over the weekend here on the David Glenn Show as a guest bracket analyst of the day. We talk with players who won it all back in the 50s and 60s, and some of them will joke that they weren't even sure beyond family and friends, like who knew that they had won the national championship. By 1988, Coach, was it mostly what you see it as today in 2019? Uh, because I was a kid back then. I remember it being huge. I'm just not sure what you would see as different today compared to 31 years ago. Well, you know, what? what's different is the, <clears throat> the social media piece of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, for us going into it, it's always, as a college basketball player, you always wanted to be a part of the NCAA tournament because of the one shiny moment song and all the hype and all the energy that surrounds the tournament because that is the final, the final gig for a college basketball player for the season. And so you always wanted to be a part of that. But, you know, you were kind of – secluded a little bit from a lot of different things that were going on yeah. just because of we didn't have quite the social media connection that children or the millennials have nowadays and so for us the only thing that we would see would be on tv yeah, um, and that was the only time you would notice anything other than that now t today's day and age as you know it's it's all over <laughs> you can't pick up any type of device without finding whatever information that you want. So that, that, to me, was the biggest difference. But the desire to win, the desire to go out and create a wonderful memory for, for your teammates and the group that you're playing with, that's still there. That's had to change. Yeah, I just realized, 1988, that means there wasn't even, like, a full-scale Internet yet, much less, you know, the whole nature of social media. Danny Manning joining us on the David Glenn Show. Is there a photo or a magazine cover or anything else in your house or office right now that uses the phrase Danny and the Miracles? Uh, not this displayed out. You know, I mean, it's that's kind of the, the <clears throat> tagline that was given to us. Yeah. Basketball is such a team sport. 
I had great teammates. Obviously, I had one of the best coaches to ever do it in Larry Brown. And so for me, it was, you know, I've got plaques up that the national champion, Kansas Jayhawks, 1988. Cool. That's, that's my memory. It's, you know, that's the name that I go by that I like to use when I, I talk about our group. That's pretty cool. It is a team sport. Danny Manning was the star of that Kansas team. He, remember, was the number one overall pick in the NBA draft that same year. Long pro career as a player, national player of the year, and that final four most outstanding player back in 1988 as the Jayhawks won it all. Do your current players at Wake Forest have any sense that either 31 years ago you were the superstar on this biggest stage or even, what was it, 11 years ago you were an assistant coach on another national championship team at Kansas? Do they have any clue or are they just all about today? You know what, they, they have some they have a little knowledge of it. It's not something that I talk about quite a bit, but I mean, you know, on these devices that these kids have nowadays, they can get whatever information they want. And so they, you know, they've done their homework in regards to Googling our staff. Um, Cause we have three guys that have played at that professional level and, you know, had good runs in college. So they're, they're familiar with that, especially when we get out and not me, but when our other assistants get out there and do some shooting drills with the guys that still knock down shots, it, it, it piques their interest a little bit. I can't imagine you being nervous as a player, maybe even as a teenager. Uh, do you get any anxiety when you're like the TV star on the CBS TV bracket analyst uh, this weekend? You know what? Not really. I think it's it's a different feel. It's a different vibe, but it, it's fun because yeah. you're talking ball. You're talking about your experiences. You're talking about maybe some of the things that the young people are going through now and getting prepared to play games or their thought process throughout the course of the ball game. And so for me, whenever I get a chance to talk ball and just chop it up and visit with people in that type of environment, it's a lot of fun and it's really it's really stress free to be honest with you. And cool. It's a good time because you got all the games on on the TV banks, and you're just going back and forth, checking out different games, talking about different plays. Yeah, you're in your natural element there. One of your ACC colleagues, Jeff Capel, who joins us regularly now with the Pitt Panthers, of course, he's been doing a lot of TV podium time as well, and he says it's a great way to keep in touch with like old teammates, uh, guys that he has signed or guys that are, he's recruiting. Will say, "Hey, coach, I just saw you on CBS. Has has you had a similar experience given what you just had this weekend?" Uh, yeah, you know, there are a lot of different guys that, that obviously follow the, the tournament and uh, have a lot of interest in it. So whenever they see someone that they're connected with, they'll shoot out a quick text or a quick message um, on, on social media and you'll hit them back. So it's always nice to uh, get reconnected and uh, stay in touch with uh, former friends, former teammates, and uh, former players. Danny Manning is joining us. He took the Golden Hurricane of Tulsa to the NCAA tournament. That was just five years ago. Uh, he took Wake Forest there in 2017. He's heading into his sixth season as the head coach of the Demon Deacons. You have played six of the 16 teams that are still standing. Of course, the five in the ACC you're going to play every year, and you also had a matchup against those Tennessee Volunteers. When you look at those 16, Coach, and the roads that they have ahead, who jumps out at you as having the best chance to win it all and why? Well, you know what? I mean, the league that we play in, we feel like it's the best league out in college basketball. And um, there might be a little evidence out there to support that right now, <laughs> 16 teams that are left. Um, and they all have an opportunity to cut down nets at the end of this tournament. 
Um, and I'm even putting Tennessee in that category because we played them. But, you know, when I look at North Carolina, this is a team that plays exceptionally fast. They're very skilled, and they hurt you from a lot of different angles and a lot of different places. Um, talk about Kobe White. You talk about Luke May. Cam Johnson has shoot the ball well. Then they've got other pieces that really complement those guys well. So, you know, that's a group that you talk about. Um, Virginia this year, they're playing a little bit faster than they've played in the past. Um, Guy and Jerome, one of the best backcourts in the country, really talented. And Hunter does not receive as much attention as he deserves. He's a terrific ball player. And then they have other pieces also that give them a chance to do what they want to do. I think Duke receives a lot of attention. I think, obviously, Zion is, is just different. Um, R.J. Barrett probably hasn't received as much attention as he deserves because of Zion. Cam Reddish is a guy who can make shots and is really skilled. And then their supporting cast does a great job of embracing those young guys and giving them a chance to flourish. Um, Virginia Tech is a team. They've probably got a little bit shorter rotation in regards to the guys that they play. They're getting Robinson back off an injury, yeah. uh, but they're a hard-nosed, tough team that, that goes out and finds ways to win night in and night out. And to me, you know, Florida State is, from what I've seen, the deepest team left in this tournament. Yeah. They go 11, they go 12 deep, and they're going to hit you with relentless pressure in the full court, half court. They're going to get out in transition. They're going to get on the offensive glass. So all those teams have different things that bode well for them as they continue to survive in advance, if you will, throughout the rest of this tournament. Coach, there's some human element in play for some of the teams that you just mentioned in some really deep kind of ways. I don't know if you've been following these angles, but for example, Phil Kofer, the six-year senior at Florida State, his dad just died, uh, and he's, yeah. not, he's not even going to be playing for the Seminoles. Um, uh, at Virginia Tech, there's all sorts of reports that their coach, Buzz Williams, is going to leave for Texas A&M. Given your experience as an, a player but also now as a coach, it can, is it easy for human beings to block out those distractions? Because if they distract you, they hurt you. But if somehow you use it as a, like a chip on your shoulder, you know, uh, Terrence Mann said, we're going to play with Mr. Kofer's passion and try to win in his memory. Or some of the Hokies players have talked about, hey, if our coach is leaving, we're going to try to send him out in style. I, I can see it going either way, distraction or motivation. How do you see it? Well, to me, you know, I think a lot of it just depends on the individual. I think um, in my position and in the coach's position, it's a lot easier for us to block out the noise yeah. in regards to what's out there um, in those types of conversations and, and things that are being said. I think as a collegiate athlete, it's harder to do because they're always with their phone. They're always on some type of social media device. But to answer your question, I think it works both ways. I, I think the Florida State, you know, teams – really bond over hardships, over some, something that happens to a member of your team. You, you know, that's your family, and you're going to rally around that. And, um, you know, Florida State's going to do that. And um, they're going to go out, and, and they're going to put forth, you know, they always play with great effort. But, you know, now they got a little bit deeper want to in terms of wanting to get it done together because of the loss of, of a loved one. Virginia Tech. I mean, you know, the, the the talk of Buzz is leaving is out there, but you know what? This is a senior-led team. Yeah. <laughs> All those guys aren't going to be back. Right. That is the case. So, you know, they're trying to go out and, and finish on the highest note as possible. So I, I think you use it for energy. I, I think you're trying to create a memory with the group that you're with. And 
anything that you can use to help propel you, to help motivate you, to challenge you, is something that you welcome. Since you just used the word family, it's a perfect transition. Uh, you probably know, I think you retweeted it, when Anthony Billis, Jay's son, joined us as a guest here on the David Glenn Show. Uh, he really raved about you. He used the phrase or word family and talked about uh, the, the experience, an incredibly positive one that he had at Wake Forest. And ever since your press conference last week, I've seen ever, several other Wake players tweet out similar sentiments about the family being together and making a, another run at it next year. Um, what can you tell us about the nature of what you expect next year? I know you mentioned Jalen Horde, your star freshman, is going to test the uh, NBA draft waters. Is it one of those things, Coach, where if you get first-round feedback, you probably go for guaranteed money, but if you don't, you lean towards staying, or is it more complicated than that with Jalen Horde? Well, it seems like it would be um, the, the easier way to go once you got the right feedback. You know, if you're a first rounder, um, that's something that, you know, it's kind of hard to turn down, just yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a lot of it, too, just the dynamic of what's going on with the family, what you want to accomplish. You know, for, for me, David, playing in the NBA for 15 years, um, I understand that when you get there, you got to be ready. Yeah because it's not a, a waiting man's game. You know, there's too much at stake um, in, in regards to guys out there trying to, to make teams and provide for their families. And the longevity of coaching in the NBA is not of such where you can wait three, four years on a guy to develop, to be honest with you, as a coach. Um, that just That's just not the nature of the beast. And so, you know, my, my message to any of those guys that test the waters is, you know, you got to be ready. You, you got to be ready for whatever's thrown at you. And we don't know what's going to be thrown at any of those guys when they step into it. If they're going to a veteran team, if they're going to a team that's starting over and um, building with young guys. But you got to be ready to handle that. And it's not about getting there, it's about staying there. There's you know, roster. Every year, yeah, go ahead. Every year, every year, that draft comes around and there are 30 guaranteed spots. Well, I remember as a player, you know, I. Even if I knew this young kid coming in, hey, I like you, I wish you the best of luck, but I'd be damned if I'm going to let you take my job. <laughs> Danny Manning is joining us from Wake Forest. He's been there, done that. Coach, you know the deal. Roster chaos is at an all-time high in college basketball. You've had your own issues with that at times at Wake Forest. Have you already had exit interviews with players where you have a sense of, you know, who's coming back, who's looking at their options? Because when I look at who at least is eligible to come back, uh, I like the idea of Brandon Childress and Sean D. Brown, and I saw the guy Andrian White play at Charlotte. Uh, and, of course, if Jalen Horde stayed, that would be an enormous help. But do, do you have a sense of that picture here at the end of March, or is that something that takes, you know, a couple more months to play out? Well, you know, as of right now, nobody's walked in and said anything um, in regards to wanting to leave or, or, or transfer. But, you know, the day – of, of when I was in school and, hey, this is the situation, we're going to make the best of it. It's, it's a little bit different now, yeah. you know, with, with, with how easily young people can move to a different situation. And um, unfortunately, a lot of times kids don't want to work through a difficult or a challenging situation, even though it's, you know, it's, it's a good situation for them in, in the long term. So, but to answer your question, as of right now, um, I haven't had any exit meetings. Actually, those start tomorrow, okay. um, postseason meetings with our young people, and, and, and go from there. But, you know, guys transfer, 
in this day and age for a lot of different reasons. And, um, you know, it is what it is, and you have to make your adjustments and, and go from there. But I like the group that we have. They seem very well connected. Um, the other night, not the other night, but, you know, I guess the first night of the tournament on the first four, about ten guys came over, and we had pizza and hung out, watched some games, and, um, you know, talked about this is this is the tournament we're, we want to be in next year. So I feel good about where we're at with our guys. Last thing for you, Coach, and we really appreciate your time on the David Glenn Show. Uh, we had Coach Capel of Pitt tell us that there is a family bracket contest where they post their brackets on the refrigerator. Uh, only bragging rights are at stake, of course. No money is exchanging hands. And then our favorite was Kevin Keats of NC State jo- dropped by yesterday. He said that his own sons are so bullheaded they won't even ask their basketball coaching dad for advice on their brackets as they play the game. You have any, uh, any, you know, brackets on the refrigerator or other pearls of wisdom to share along those lines? Do you even have a bracket that you picked a national champion? I do not have a bracket. We don't have any brackets on the refrigerator. <laughs> my son, Evan, who played at Kansas, uh, is on my staff. My daughter works at USA Basketball. My wife has been with me since college. We sit back and We'll watch games. We'll talk about games. And, um, you know, it's uh, – I enjoy and love the game of basketball. But I'll be honest with you. I'll be glad when this tournament's over. <laughs> do, you at least get, do you at least get some street cred, Coach, given all you've accomplished? Do your family members at least say, well, let's ask Danny because he would probably know? No. Oh. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. All right. So good. My, my son's got a little cred and, and, my, and my wife has acquired it too from all the time that we've been together and then my my, my daughter is working for USA basketball so we're <laughs> we're all pretty comfortable in our top front. Well done. Coach Danny Manning of Wake Forest, thank you very much for this extended visit on the David Glenn show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. You too. At Coach D Manning on Twitter, he's heading into year six as the leader of the Demon Deacons. I was old enough to remember nineteen eighty eight now. Darren, you weren't born yet, I don't think. I always get that wrong. You were not born just, yet. Just I barely. know that. You just were not barely. born yet. I was yet. not born yet. Okay, so Danny Manning, let's see. I, try to picture this year's Sweet 16, or even try to picture the original 68 or 64. Almost nobody has double-digit losses that you think has any chance of winning at all, right? I mean, we say this all the time. I don't think you're crazy if your national champion is different than mine, right? Like, if I thought it was going to be Duke or UVA or Carolina, but you thought it was going to be a Gonzaga, a Michigan State, or a Michigan, we're we're all talking about teams that lost three times, four times, six times, right? Anybody that any of us thought might win it all had three, four, five, six losses heading into the NCAA tournament. Kansas in 1988 already had 11 losses. That Danny and the Miracles label is up there with Jim Valvano and the Cardiac Pack in 1983, Roly Massimino and the Villanova Stunner as an eight seed, to this day the lowest seed ever to win the NCAA tournament. So, of course, those are three examples where your record is not quite as pretty when you enter the NCAA tournament. Who was the best team that lost double-digit games? Like Oregon is 25-12 and 12 right now. And of the 16 teams still standing – They're the only one with double-digit losses. And of the 16 teams still standing, they're the only one, frankly, that has no chance of winning at all. I I wouldn't be shocked if any of the one or two seeds won at all. I'd be a little surprised if it's somebody below the two line. But think about that now. 
Kansas in 1988, 11 losses as they enter the tournament, and they run off six straight wins to cut down the Nets. Now remembered eternally as Danny and the Miracles with that guy, Danny Manning, as the star of the show, most outstanding player of the Final Four, number one pick in the NBA draft later that summer, of course, 15 years in the NBA. He has taken Tulsa and Wake to the NCAA tournament one time each during his time there. Nobody else has double-digit losses. Auburn, later this week against Carolina, a nine-loss team. That's as close as it gets, again, besides Oregon. All of the top contenders, Virginia and Gonzaga have only lost three times. Duke has lost five times, but remember, only once at full strength to Gonzaga early this season. Carolina, Kentucky, Michigan, Michigan State, Texas Tech, uh, they're all six six lost teams. Tennessee, a five-loss team. You don't lose 11 times before the big bracket and then win it all. They were shocked then. 1983, 1985, and 1988, three of the great miracle runs in NCAA tournament history, all in the 80s when I was a youngin'. We need more surprises for your generation, Darren. 